it works for about a year, and then they get too big for it. And, and this little thing is the most annoying toy ever. Um, not only do the kids fight over it all the time, but if you push the ears, it makes noise. You know, so or it has different voices, and that's kind of freaky to me because the voices are not the same. So sometimes it's it's a girl's voice saying, "Let's go for a ride." And then other times it's a boy's voice singing a song about riding horses. I mean, it's just kind of a weird little toy. And one night, <clears throat> a few years ago, and I, I, I don't remember where Corinne was, but she wasn't home, and it was at the end of a long, exhausting week, uh, spiritually exhausting, mentally, emotionally exhausting uh, week, and I was trying to get Jack to sleep. And he was a baby, and Asher was already asleep, and so I was holding Jack, and I was walking back and forth, you know, singing little songs to him, trying to get him to go to sleep. And this, this little horse started freaking me out because every time I would walk past it, it would talk to me. It would, you know, I would walk by. And then the next time I'd walk by, I'm a little pony, clippity-clop, clippity-clop. And so this thing, let's go for a ride. You know, first of all, I'm trying to get my baby to sleep, and this thing is keeping it awake. And secondly, nobody was pushing the buttons on the ears. And I was freaked out. I mean, I've seen, you know, enough movies to know that maybe toys are not all the, they're cracked up to be. <laughs> so I was tired. I was exhausted. It's a spiritually draining week, a hard week of ministry. And, and it really, it was late at night, and... No, nobody else was around, and so I, I, was, I actually started to think maybe I was under spiritual attack. Maybe there was like a demon invading this horse, invading our house, and it, it really did, it started freaking me out. And so I, I got on my phone, and I text messaged some friends, and I was like, please pray for me, we're under spiritual attack. And uh, I ended up putting the thing outside um, and got, the, got Jack to sleep and everything. And then Corinne got home later that night, and she said, why is the little horse outside? And so I was telling her the story. And when she finished laughing at me, she said, um, no, it just does that when the batteries are going dead. <laughs> so if you, if you take the batteries out and it's still doing that, then we have a problem. But I was not under spiritual attack that night, but I wonder if you have ever felt like you were under spiritual attack. Have you ever, have you ever sensed a, an evil spirit or, or something attacking you or draining you or pulling you in a direction that you don't really want to go? Um, you know, everybody recognizes and acknowledges that there is evil in this world. Uh, but do we often recognize or acknowledge evil at work in our own lives? Have you ever felt like you were being attacked by an evil spirit? Uh, what do you do in that situation? What do you think you would do if you felt like there was a demon who was attacking you? If you were faced with a spiritual battle, how would you overcome that evil? And how do you overcome the evil that is in our lives, that is attacking us. We think about all the evil that exists in the world today. Is there any hope to overcome that evil? It doesn't seem like the world is getting any better. It seems like every time the news airs a story, it's worse. 
Is there any hope? Is there any solution to the problem of evil in the world? And if so, what is that hope? What is that solution? Have you ever experienced freedom and victory over evil in your own life? So maybe you felt like you were under spiritual attack, but you experienced victory. How did that victory come? Where did it come from? And how does my experience of spiritual victory over the evil in my life relate to victory over evil in this world? How does my freedom in Christ relate to victory over evil forces in this world? And and when I have experienced victory, what do I do with that? How do I respond to the mercy that Christ shows to me? Well, I think in the passage of Scripture that we're going to be looking at today, Mark addresses some of these questions. Um, He shows us how Jesus responds when he encounters evil spirits. And he shows us how Jesus has victory over demons. He shows us what Jesus does to fight the powers of darkness. And as we see, uh, read this story, we will see how we can join Christ in his mission, how we can bring freedom to the spiritually oppressed and life to the spiritually dead. We will discover how to deal with demons in our own lives and then in this world. So in your Bibles, if you want to turn to Mark chapter 5, Mark chapter 5, we'll start with verse 1. Mark chapter 5, verse 1. As you're turning that, we read this story. Mark answers the question, how do we deal with demons in this world? How how do we overcome the forces of evil in this life? We'll find the answer to that in Mark chapter 5, starting with verse 1. Just to set the scene a little bit, Last week we saw at the end of chapter 4 that Jesus and his disciples got in a boat and they started going to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, this large inland lake in Israel. And on their way to the other side of the lake, they ran into this massive storm that almost killed them. Uh, And Jesus calmed the wind and the waves. And that's where we pick up the story in chapter 5, verse 1. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. Now, uh, this man lived in the tombs, which were about a mile and a half to two miles away from the shore of the lake. So he, uh, living in the tombs, sensed a great spiritual power landing on the shore of the lake, and he came to see what it was. This man has an impure spirit. He has a demon. And so he senses the spiritual power of the Lord and he comes to meet him. He ran a mile and a half to two miles to come and see Jesus. This man lived in the tombs, verse 3. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot. But he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance from his home in the tomb, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. 
And he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Now, uh, in that day, and I kind of geek out about this stuff, but in that day, uh, when people would do exorcisms, it was commonly believed that if you knew the name of your opponent, you had spiritual power over your opponent. If you could say their name, you could control them. And so when the demons come up, and, and, and he's the demon-possessed man, and he says the name of Jesus, Son of the Most High God, he is not proclaiming the gospel so that everyone will believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He is speaking the name of Jesus in an effort, in an attempt to control Jesus because they have engaged in a spiritual battle. And the demon thinks, if I can say his name, then that will give me power over him. Well, clearly that didn't work. So the demon appealed to a higher power, which is something that, uh, that, that they also would do when they were doing exorcisms. If you were facing off against an evil spirit, if you could call that spirit by name and then appeal to another spirit that was more powerful, you might be able to have control. And the thing that's really ironic is there's no one more powerful than Jesus. So the only person the demon can appeal to is God the Father. So the demon sort of says, okay, I'm going to appeal to my arch enemy to defeat my arch enemy. Well, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. Well, that should send a chill down our spines. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission. Jesus is completely and totally in control of this spiritual battle. Not only does he uh, control whether or not the demons can stay in this man, he controls their destination. They have to ask him for permission for where they can go. And Jesus gives them permission. And the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. The demons had been destroying this man. They came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and they destroyed the pigs. Now, does that mean that there were 2,000 demons inside this man? Maybe. We don't really know how many demons were inside this man. They called themselves legion. At that time, a Roman legion was about 6,000 soldiers. So we don't know how many demons were in this man for sure, but we know that there were a lot. 2,000 pigs rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Verse 14, those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Rightly so. Here's this man that could break chains. 
that could shatter shackles from his feet that no one could control, who was crazy, who cut himself with stones, who lived in the graveyard, who shrieked and cried out day and night, and yet when they come to see what's going on, he's dressed, he's cleaned, he's sitting at the feet of Jesus in his right mind, and they said, who has that kind of power? They were rightly afraid. Those who had seen it, verse 16, those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. They were probably uh, totally freaked out by what Jesus did. And they were scared and they were afraid. And I think one of the reasons that Mark says they also told about the pigs the people were probably kind of ticked off at Jesus because 2,000 pigs were destroyed that day. That was a lot of money. That was a lot of income and money. Jesus' miracle to set this man free has cost these people a lot of money. And they cared more about the pigs than they did about this man who was suffering with demon possession. So, so, they began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. They're probably upset with him for destroying their pigs, but they're afraid of him because he has such power. So they ask him, beg him, please leave. Go away and leave us alone. Verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how much he has had mercy on you. This is really interesting because this is the first time in the Gospel of Mark that Jesus tells the man who's been healed to go and tell his story. Every other time up to this point, when Jesus casts out a demon, he says, don't tell anyone what's happened to you. He says to the person who's been freed, don't tell anyone what I've done. And of course, they never listen. They always go and they tell everybody what Jesus did. But here, Jesus shifts his message and he says, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And so the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, which was that region there, about 10 cities, how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. They were blown away by what Jesus had done for this man. I think the big idea of this story is this. We deal with demons in this world by telling others that Jesus is stronger than the evil in our lives. So how do we deal with demons in the world? By telling everyone that Jesus is stronger than the evil in my life, in our lives. We can overcome evil forces in this world by proclaiming the power Christ has over our own darkness. That's how we deal with, with demons in this world, by proclaiming the power of Christ over our demons, over our struggles. And when I 
Go and share with somebody else the power and the glory and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that person puts their faith in Christ and they experience freedom. That person has been set free of the power of darkness. And so one by one, one life at a time, one person at a time, we together working through the power of Christ will overcome the evil that is in this world. That's how we deal with demons. By telling others that Jesus is stronger than the evil in our lives. It's about telling our story. So let's look at at how we do this. The, The first thing, if we're going to deal with demons, the first thing we need to understand is that demons are real. Evil spirits actually exist. Now, in our modern, scientific enlightened society, it's really easy for us to dismiss the demonic. Oh, demons, that's not real. Evil spirits, you know, that's a bunch of hocus pocus, superstition. You know, it's fine for a a horror movie or a a Halloween story, but it's not real. It doesn't exist in reality. I can't measure it in in a science lab, so it must not be real. But I think this story in the Gospel of Mark and our own experience in life would tell otherwise. Demons are real. They really exist. They're far more subtle and prevalent in this world than we acknowledge or even recognize. I think that probably every person in this room at some point in your life has been under spiritual attack, whether you realized it or not. Because demons are real. So if we're going to deal with them and defeat them, we need to understand a little bit about our enemy. So let's let's talk about what are demons, what do they do, and how do they operate. First of all, what are they? I think this uh, definition in the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible is really good. Demons are fallen angels, divinely created supernatural beings who, under the leadership of Lucifer, also known as Satan, rebelled against God. So what the Bible teaches is that before God created human beings, he created spiritual beings called angels. And the angels were created to do God's will, to worship the Lord and to carry out his will, to be his messengers and his servants. And and the greatest of all the angels was an angel named Lucifer. And he was filled with pride. And he decided, I can be God. I can replace God. So Lucifer recruited about a third of all the angels that God had created and waged a war against God in the spiritual realm. And uh, naturally, since God has unlimited power and Satan doesn't, Satan was not victorious. And he and his legions of fallen angels were cast out of the realm of heaven. And they are at loose in our world today, wreaking havoc. That's what demons are. They are fallen angels who rebelled against God. They serve Satan rather than God now. And you say, boy, that sounds really sensational, but I just don't believe it. You know, I'm more progressive than that. I I don't believe it. Um, There's a quote from uh, a movie, a 1995 movie called The Usual Suspects. Uh, where Kevin Spacey it plays this character, and, and here's what he says. This is such a good quote. The greatest trick the devil, devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. 
If he can convince you that he's not real, that demons aren't real, that evil spirits aren't real, then they can attack you and you won't even realize where the attack is coming from. Demons are real. They actually exist. They are fallen angels in rebellion against God. What do they do? What do they do? Well, just like angels carry out the will of God, demons carry out the will of Satan, who is the prince of demons. John 8.44 says that Satan was a murderer from the beginning and that he is a liar and the father of lies. And John 10.10 says that Satan's agenda is to steal and kill and destroy. So how many of you have heard the saying, um, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, right? Well, here, here's the, the flip side of that. Satan hates you and has a terrible plan for your life. His mission and the mission of all evil spirits under his dominion is to steal and kill and destroy. The devil and his demons are not these little cartoon characters with pointy tails that walk around with pitchforks and we can all laugh at on Bugs Bunny and then go home and, and forget about them. They are real, evil, spiritual forces and they, can, they, they, they wreak havoc and devastation. They're all about stealing your joy and stealing your happiness and stealing your life. They want to destroy you, to destroy your marriage, to destroy your family, to wreak as much devastation through you as possible and then kill you. They want you to commit suicide. They want you to commit violence against others. They don't care about how old a person is. They will kill that person if they can. They'll kill women. They'll kill children. This is, this is demonic forces. They are real. They are absolutely evil. Their agenda is to steal and kill and destroy. The legion of demons that, that possessed this man in Mark 5, they drove him away from society. They took his family away from him. They took his life away from him. They drove him out into a graveyard where he lived. They tormented him. They drove him so crazy that he began to cut himself with sharp stones and shriek and cry out day and night. They tormented and tortured him. And I have no doubt that if Jesus had not come across the Sea of Galilee and, and, and embraved a storm just to set this man free, that this legion of demons would have led this man eventually to commit suicide, maybe to commit some uh, terrible act of violence, mass murder, or some kind of thing. The demons would have led him to do that because that's what they do. They steal, they kill, they destroy. How do they do it? Demons are masters of disguise. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen and 15 says, Demons masquerade as angels of light and servants of righteousness. They disguise themselves as something good. And as a result, we often fail to see them at work around us. They're liars. They bait and switch. So they promise one thing, but they deliver something else. In Mark chapter 5, the demons gave this man superhuman strength. He could break chains like nothing. He could smash the shackles that were on his feet. So they promised one thing, great power. But what did they take from him? The power of self-control. He was so enslaved by these demons that they would overtake his body. They would speak through him. He didn't even have the ability to control his own body. They promise one thing, but deliver something else. They promise pleasure, but deliver addiction. 
They promise happiness, but deliver discontentment. They promise success, but deliver greed. They promise fulfillment, but deliver shame. They promise greater power, but they deliver greater enslavement, and they do it gradually. This is how they work. In verse 3 of Mark 5, it says, No one could bind him anymore. No one could bind him anymore. That means they used to be able to bind him. They used to put chains on him, and the chains used to subdue him. But as he became more and more enslaved by the power of these demons, he became more and more uncontrollable. It was gradual. It's not like one day he was a normal human being, and the next day he was completely enslaved by the demonic forces and had superhuman strength. It happened over time, and that's how evil works, gradually. One of my favorite pastors, uh, Tim Keller, is the pastor, uh, founding pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City. And, and he has such a great quote about this. Here's what Keller says. General, he says, In the beginning, you feel the power much more than the enslavement. But slowly, 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 over the years, things change. Evil sneaks up on you. Generally speaking, the devil does not come to you and say, I'll tell you what, you can make partner, but you're going to have to grind the face of the poor by investing in companies and products that exploit vulnerable families. See, nobody would say okay to that. Yet slowly, bit by bit by bit, you can be sucked into one of those systems of evil that are grinding people into the ground. You're part of it and you don't even realize it. Simply a pawn of the devil. Or the devil doesn't come and say, I'm going to give you such obsession over your career that eventually all of your loved ones and your family will actually leave you because you're so distracted and distant from them because of your obsession with work. Nobody would say okay to that. Yet you can end up in the tombs cutting yourself and wondering, how in the world did I get here? Gradually is the answer. Gradually. It's been said that sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Demons are real. They are fallen angels in rebellion against God. They seek to steal, kill, and destroy. So be careful when you're flirting with something you know is wrong. It is very likely, very possible, that there is an evil spirit that you are flirting with that will lead you farther than you ever thought you would go, that will keep you longer than you ever thought you would stay, and that will cost you so much more than you ever thought you would pay because that's what they do. Be careful how you flirt with the world and with sin. Demons are real. But enough bad news. Let's talk about some good news. Even though demons are real, Jesus is stronger than demons. That's what this story shows. Jesus has more power than the forces of evil. In Mark chapter 5, when Jesus steps into this spiritual battle, he does not have to do anything. He just shows up. He steps foot on the shore of the lake, and this demoniac, this demon-possessed man, runs from a mile and a half away and falls on his face in front of Jesus. 
because he recognizes a greater spiritual power. And the reality is this demon, these demons, this legion of demons have already lost the battle before anything happens just by Jesus showing up. He doesn't have to do anything. He has such great power. Jesus invades the kingdom of darkness, binds the strong man, and casts out and destroys his legion of demons with a command. A command. Simply a word. Jesus is a tidal wave of spiritual power that completely overwhelms the forces of evil. They can't handle him. They can simply beg him to let them go in to the pigs. I just want to take a little sidestep here for a minute. Um, there have been many, many people over the years that have written about how mean and awful it was for Jesus to let those demons go into the pigs and all those poor little 2,000 pigs drown. So just so you know where I'm standing on that issue, after church day we're having uh, pepperoni and sausage pizza. <laughs> Not, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But seriously, 2,000 pigs or a human being made in the image of God. I would kill 2,000 pigs in a heartbeat if it meant saving the life of a single human being who's made in the image of God. And sometimes I think we need to stop worrying about the pigs and start caring about our fellow human beings who are suffering. They are important. They're made in the image of God. Jesus is stronger than the demons. He comes here. He invades their kingdom. He utterly defeats them. He is God. And evil cannot withstand the presence of God. Now, you might look around the world and you might say, if God is really that powerful, where is he? There's so much evil in the world. Where is God? Why doesn't he do that today? Where is God in the midst of all this evil? And the answer is, he is right here waiting patiently. The Bible says that God desires that no one should perish, but that everyone should have eternal life. And God is waiting patiently for everyone who can be saved to be saved. For everyone who would come into His kingdom to come into His kingdom. For everyone who desires to give their life to Christ to give their life to Christ. God is here waiting patiently so that everyone could come to Him. And when everyone who can be saved has been saved, then he will step back into this world riding on a white stallion in a robe that's been dipped in blood, carrying a sword, and Jesus will utterly and completely and totally annihilate all the forces of evil that is, are in this world. He will completely destroy every evil spirit, every demonic force. He will bind them forever and ever and ever, and he will create a new kingdom with no fear, with no darkness, with no suffering, with no sickness, with no death, where he will wipe every tear from every eye. And he is waiting for anyone who wants to come into that kingdom to come. That's where he's at. That is our hope. The world may look like it's overrun with evil, but there is hope. His name is Jesus. He is the light of the world, and he is our hope. There is no darkness in you. There is no impurity in you. There is no sin in you. There is no evil in you. There is no demon in you that Jesus cannot overcome. All you need to do is, is like this demon-possessed man in Mark chapter 5, run to Jesus and get on your knees before him and say, set me free. And Jesus will set you free because that's the kind of God we serve. 
Jesus is stronger than the demons. Yes, they're real, but Jesus is so much stronger. So what is the necessary application of this story? When I was in seminary and and they would talk about when you're reading stories in the Bible, the Bible is full of a lot of stories like this. The the, the wonderful thing about stories is you can learn a hundred things from them. You can, you can apply a hundred things from them. There's so much different perspectives and different things in the story. But usually every story has one necessary application. One thing that if we don't get it from this story, we've missed the story. And we can apply a hundred different other things, but there's one thing that Mark wants us to get from this story that every single person needs to apply to their lives, including me, the necessary application is this. Go and tell your story. Share all that the Lord has done for you. Look at verse 19. This is the necessary application of this story. Jesus says to this formerly demon-possessed man who has been asking to go with him, he doesn't let him go. Instead, he says, go home to your own people And tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And how he has had mercy on you. That's the necessary application. To share what God has done for you. Because when I share how Christ has overcome evil in my life. Somebody else can experience freedom in their life. And together we can overcome evil in the world. And I think in in this verse 19. Jesus gives us three Really good pointers about how we can share our story. The first thing he says is this. Go home to your own people. Start in your circle, in your world. Sure, I can go stand in downtown Stoughton and and shout, if you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to go to hell. If you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to go to hell. I can shout that all I want. And most people who don't know me will simply ignore me. Or I can go to people who know me. I can go to my neighbors, to my family, in my school, to my teachers, to my coworkers. I can go to people who know me, who know my story, who know all my dark little secrets, to people I have a relationship with. And I can say, can I share with you what the Lord has done for me? And you know what? Most of the time they'll listen because they know me. And that's, that's so key. Start in your circle in your own world. Next, he says, tell them all that the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Tell your story and be honest. Don't cover up your sin. Be honest. Don't sensationalize your sin, but tell your story. What has God done for you? Use your past to reach others for Christ. If you have been through a bitter divorce, you have credibility to speak to people who are struggling with divorce or with their marriage in a way that some others don't. If you have struggled with cancer, you have credibility to speak to those who are struggling with cancer in a way that others don't. If you have been addicted to drugs or alcohol, you have ability to speak into the lives of people who struggle with those things in a way that others don't. So don't run away from your past. Use your past To bring others to Christ. If you grew up in church and you were a good church kid and you were so legalistic and rules-based and and all that stuff, 
you have the ability to speak into the lives of people who, who think they can earn God's favor by doing good deeds in a way that somebody else can't. Whatever it is that God has set you free from, tell your story and use it to reach out to other people. Tell your story and be honest. And he says, tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. In the middle of your story, give all the glory to God. Yes, it's your story, but guess what? Jesus is the hero of all our stories. I didn't do anything for myself. I'm not here because of me. I didn't overcome. I didn't have victory because anything anything I did, God worked in and through me. He is the one who is the hero. We should share our story, tell the good news about what Jesus has done for us, not just because we want people to be saved from eternity in hell. Yes, we do. But that's not the only reason. And not just because we want people to join our church. That's not why we're telling our story. We're telling our story because good news is the antidote to bad news. Good news is the antidote to bad news. If Jesus overcomes evil and sets the captives free, if he heals the brokenhearted and lifts up the weary, if God is really a father to the fatherless and a comforter to those in distress, why wouldn't we share Jesus with them? When we see somebody hurting and suffering, why would we not share the answer to their problems with them? How do we deal with demons? Here's how. We go and we tell people how much the Lord has done for us and how he has had mercy on us and how they can experience the same thing if they will give their life to Christ and receive him as their Lord and Savior. That's how we deal with demons. Let's stand and respond in worship.